0: Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost Series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. So a very good morning to you. You're very welcome to this morning's Signpost webinar. Uh, my name is Mark Gibson, and I'm head of the Chagask KT Outreach and Innovation Department. This series is brought to you by Chagisk in collaboration with Dairy Sustainability Ireland, the National Rural Network, and Food Drink Ireland Skillnet. And today I'm joined by Pat Murphy, who's going to be helping us with questions later on. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning. And just before we introduce our speaker, I just want to talk about the the topic we're going to be discussing today. And the Agricultural Catchments Programme is an intensive monitoring programme of farming's impacts on water quality across Ireland and is coordinated by CHAGISC. An important part of this monitoring programme is soil fertility. So I'm delighted to be joined by Eddie Burgess, who is a catchment science specialist with the Agricultural Catchments, and who's going to talk to us about soil fertility trends in the Agricultural Catchments Programme. Eddie, good morning to you. Good
1: morning, Mark. Good morning, Pat.
0: Eddie, maybe you could tell us a bit about the the work uh, that you're doing, those those who aren't familiar with the Agricultural Catchments Programme. Could you tell us maybe a little bit more about that and and how that fits in to the overall, the bigger picture in terms of water quality?
1: Yes, Mark, Um, the the Agriculture Catchments Program, we've presented here a few times before and given an overview of of our whole program, but we're established now in almost 14 years and we're funded by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine to evaluate the measures that are um, imposed under the Nitrates Directive, the Good Agricultural Practice Measures and its derogation. All quite topical just at the moment because every four years the nitrates directive gets reviewed and the measures that are included in it are, are, some of them are usually changed. And in previous reviews of the nitrates directive, most of those changes have been favorable in that there have been a relaxation of restrictions on agriculture. They've allowed people doing things at at a longer period in the year or increased application rates but it is likely with the environmental um, focus and, and uh, trends in water quality and gaseous emissions, all the topics that have been discussed here in these webinars are putting pressure on at the moment. And it's likely that, that uh, the current round of the review of the nitrous directive is not going to be as favorable as it has been in the past. But we're we're very key and central in that. And re- we report every year to. European Commission on the impact of the derogation. Um, it, it goes through the Department of Agriculture and the Department of Housing, but the EPA and the Catchments Programme uh, make up the bulk of the science that goes into that review of the nitrates derogation. Great.
0: OK. OK, Eddie, well, that's a, that gives us a good overview of, of uh, the, the Catchments Programme. So if you could share your screen with us and uh, we will uh, get into the presentation. Um, we, we should uh, issue a health warning at this stage. Uh, there are quite a few graphs in your presentation. So uh, unfortunately, we didn't get the opportunity to send people 3D glasses for the, your presentation, but um, I think you have a really strong story to tell uh, in those graphs. Um, so Eddie, we'll hand over to you. Thanks very much, Mark.
1: Before I proceed with, with the talk, uh, first of all, I'd like to acknowledge a, a lot of help that's come in from one of my colleagues in the Catchments Programme, uh, Simon Leach. Um is a technologist working with our programme and he works with a database for a lot of the results of the what we call the spatial data, the, the soil fertility and, and Uh, Other things that are happening out in different locations around the catchments are all recorded, and Simon has done a lot of the number punching on the details that that I'm going to go through with you now. So just just to say thanks to Simon on that. What what I am going to go through here, really, first of all, as I mentioned, the catchments program is a water quality evaluation program, and people may ask, why are we so involved in soil analysis and soil samples? So I want to give a quick overview of that and how we do it in the catchments program and what we do. Um, Having done that, I want to look at the trends in soil fertility that we have found since we started in the catchments program. I know that Pat and David Wall and Mark Plunkett produce a publication every year on the trends nationally on all soil samples that come through Chagisk, and it's a very useful and informative publication. Where our soil results and our campaign differs from that is that, The soil samples that we take are from the exact same fields, we we do a soil sampling campaign every four years and we go out and resample the same location in the same field in the same manner, so we can look at the exact trend in a field, on a farm, or in a catchment. And in today's presentation, I'm going to go through the comparison between different catchments and different enterprises. And I do apologize in advance, there are a lot of graphs coming up in the presentation, but really, when I want to try and show trends, um, that, that, that's inevitable. Um, and finally, uh, I, I want to give a couple of implications and like you to consider um, what is happening with phosphate, uses of organic manures, and on the pH and soil type and the implications that that has on the soil trends. So the Catchments Programme in general, as I mentioned, is evaluating water quality and water quality for the Water Framework Directive. I think the, the biggest single factor that that uh, needs to be improved for targets under the Water Framework Directive is is river ecology, at at the at the end of the nutrient transfer continuum, as we call it in the Catchments Programme. But nutrients have to come from somewhere. There is a source of nutrients. They may not make it as far as the river or the estuary or the lake, and they may not have an impact when they do get there. But if they aren't there in the initial um, place, uh, they won't, they won't uh, be a problem. So the main reason why we are looking at uh, soil fertility and taking soil samples every four years is to get an assessment of the source of nutrients. And nutrients that cause a problem in water quality are nitrogen and phosphorus. They're the two main nutrients that cause a problem for eutrophication. Phosphorus largely in freshwater bodies, and nitrogen is the limiting nutrient largely in saline or marine waters. Um, And and the measures being implemented under the Nitrates Directive may be targeting different locations along this path. And and we're familiar, there are stocking rate limits, there are fertilizer limits based on soil samples, um, and on your stocking rate, and the crop type, and the cropping history. And these are all source limiting measures in the nitrates directive. They may have an impact on stop, but in some cases, it doesn't take a lot of a nutrient to cause a problem. And that is the mobilization stage, and mobilization, for example, if you plow a field of permanent pasture, we're going to release a lot of nitrogen that was previously tied up as organic matter. It gets mineralized and in a mineralized form as nitrate. It's available to be leached. So that's the mobilization part of it. Um, And there is measures for, for stopping the transfer of nutrients with buffer strips. And recently we've seen a lot about the delivery of nutrients into our estuaries in the East and Southeast with the total load of nitrogen that is getting there and the impact. So that's just an overview of the approach we're taking, but the very start of it, we're looking at the source of nutri- nutrients, and that's why we, we, we go out and do these soil analysis. And we have six catchments in the program, but for three of them, three southernmost catchments, they're the ones that got established first. And in those, we have now taken four, we have done four different uh, soil sampling campaigns. First of all, in the winter of 2019, uh, 2009 and 10, sorry, not 19, there's a misprint, beg your pardon, then four years later, and four years later, and then last winter, a year ago at this stage. And as I mentioned, it's the same area sampled every year, and it is stored in the database that Simon is working with, and it's the standard soil analysis tests that we do, soil pH, the buffering capacity, phosphorus, and potash, and more recently, the catchments program was taken on a roll for climate change and carbon sequestration and those were sampling the soils also for carbon content. Um, A key point is that the farmers in these six catchments um, didn't choose to partake in the agricultural catchments program and they weren't looking to evaluate the nitrates directive so there was a lot of work um, by advisors working in the program to, to encourage them to work with us you can imagine they would have been quite hesitant and maybe apprehensive when they heard that they were involved and located in an area for assessing um, the nitrates directive. But the single biggest, um, if I was to pick a, a single factor that encouraged farmers to work with us, it was the fact that we sampled their fields and went out and presented the results and discussed nutrient management planning with them. So not only are these soil samples used for the researchers in our program, they also are a key part of our advisory uh, role and are keenly sought after by the farmers. There's just over 300 farmers in the program and they're very um, pleased and keen to know what their soil fertility levels are. And I would, would, uh, under observation from the four campaigns, each time we go out and do a soil sampling campaign, the level of interest and demand for the results increases. So pH, soil pH, I think is like the foundation of all nutrient management. And, and I'm just going to do, go through first overall in the three attachments, in League and the two catchments in Wexford and Bally Canoe, just to look at the soil pH um, and I have broken it down into different bands there from soils above seven, between six and a half and seven, uh, 6.2 to six and a half. So they they would be the three uh, bands that we would ideally like to see our our, our pH in. And then suboptimal would be below 6.2. So from six to 6.2, five and a half, um, and and below that. So these are the bands. Of, of the ph and you can see over time from the first campaign the soil ph has improved between the first and the second and then it took a significant jump into the third campaign and is not quite so good at the last campaign uh, in the last last winter the ph seems to have dropped back a little bit this a significant increase here in 2017 and 18 did raise a lot of questions from me, I was, uh, kind of thought that that was an exceptionally high jump, and I'm wondering why uh, this happened. Um, if we were to follow the trend between the first, second, and last soil sampling campaign, they seem to be more consistent, improving the whole time, but there seems to be an exceptionally high improvement here in the 2017 and the 2018, in the third campaign. Uh, and after looking into it, i, I noticed that the same jump took place nationally. Um, So so we are in line with national trends for soil pH across the three catchments. But also, I think it is worth noting that um, when taking a soil sample, we would not recommend taking one within two years of spreading lime. That there is still lime, Uh, it takes two years for the lime to be from fully incorporated into the soil and adjust the soil pH. Um, because we are going out and taking a sample every four years, some of those fields that we have sampled will would have had lime applied in the previous year, in the same year, previous year, and year before that. And, and that wouldn't be advised from a nutrient point of view. So there may be a certain level of inaccuracy and exceptionally high pH is shown in the third campaign, because there was a high amount of lime sales in the years running up to that. Um, The phosphorus trend across the three catchments is is declining and and declining gradually. Uh, I have broken the the p-values into the indexes. Index one is very low, Um, index two low, index three is the optimum agronomic and environmental um, combined target that we would like to see an index four would be four would be high considered high. Um, we so under the regulations usually the no phosphorus is recommended under index fours um, f- for environmental reasons and also because it's deemed that there isn't a response to P fertilizer or, or fertilizer at index four levels. So. I suppose you could say, unfortunately, across the catchments, the P levels are in a slight decline. Potash, on the other hand, is increasing. I often say that K is the forgotten element, and I attend a lot of meetings with people on environmental and water quality issues, and potash does not cause a problem to water quality directly itself. However, potash is a key element in nutrient management, and nitrogen use efficiency will be significantly impacted if the levels of K are inadequate. And if nitrogen use efficiency isn't what you would like it to be, it's going to be lost somewhere along the line and those losses potentially could end up in in the environment, in the atmosphere or in water quality. So through good nutrient management, soil pHs and soil potash levels um, should be at their optimum. And they are moving in the right direction across all catchments. If we break it down into individual catchments, and we look at Ballycanu, it's a heavy soil catchment in County Wexford. It's predominantly grassland, high clay content. It's an Irish Sea mud that was pushed up by the glaciers and left behind um, 10,000 years ago, and prior to that in previous glaciations. We can see here um, that the pH is increasing, and again, it, it did increased significantly in the third campaign and has dropped back a little bit, but the overall trend in the pH is moving in the right direction. However, it is uh, lower than we would like to see, and there is significant room for improvement in the pH in Valley Canoe. In contrast, in the tillage catchment, which is only 20 minutes, 20 minutes to half an hour's drive away, the pH is significantly better, Uh, And it's ironic in that the soil here is naturally more acidic, but there is a history of sugar beet in the area and the farmers there appreciate the uh, the value of lime and soil pH and, and are very, very much aware of the benefits of that. So the pH was good at starting point and has improved. So you can see the category the sections that are in the pH of between six and a half and seven has grown. Um, and being a tillage soil, we would say that the optimum pH is, a, is 6.5. And uh, this graph is a slightly different way of showing the trends in tillage fields across the tree catchments. Um, and, and what I'm showing here at the first campaign, the blue line, represents at this point, this is all the soils that are the pH below 5.9. And if we looked at what happened those very same soils in the second campaign, those P, the pH increased. And again, up to around 6.4 in the third campaign and has leveled off there. And the soil, soils with the exceptionally high pH have dropped gradually. But there seems to be a convergence of the tillage soils to a pH of close to 6.5. And again, that, that, that is desirable, and that's what we would be looking for. And I think there a legacy of, of nice. high pH soils in the Castle Dockwood catchment from factory lime, which was spread as a byproduct from the sugar industry, and, and those are gradually falling. For dairy farms across all three catchments, again, there is a convergence of the pH. The lower ones have improved significantly and the higher pHs have dropped a little bit, but the convergence is closer to 6.1 or 6.2. Not not as high as we're seeing in the tillage scenario. And in dry stock uh, across the three catchments, it's very similar to what's happened in, in the dairy. I think it's important to just note that at this time, the previous slides I was talking about the actual pH of the soil. When we take a soil sample, it is also analysed for a thing called the buffering capacity or the buffering pH, and the line requirement is calculated from the buffering test. And I have compared here the line requirement in the three catchments, Valley you? A clay soil, Castle Dockwell, a free-draining shale, a bedrock soil, predominantly tillage in Timaleague, an intensive dairying, free-draining soil over sandstone. So we're comparing the three soils at different pHs. So if we look at the Bally soil at a pH of 5.8, to, to change that pH to optimum, we need just over three tons of lime per hectare. In Timaleague, at the very same pH, at 5.8, we need more lime. We need close to five tons to bring the pH to optimum. And in Castle casodoctoral, we need even more again. So it's important to distinguish the difference between soil pH and lime requirement. And different soils need a different amount of lime to bring them to the optimum. Some soils will resist a change in pH more so, and that's why we do a buffering test to calculate the line requirement. That sometimes can can be can be a little bit misleading or confusing. Um, why is the pH so so important? And um, I'm coming to phosphorus now and uh, tying this soil pH in with phosphorus. So this is some work that was done by a pH student in the catchments programme, Roman Herbert. Um, and he did a more detailed analysis looking at the total phosphorus. Uh, The example here I'm showing is in Valley Canoe, and he compared it with the Morgan's phosphorus, and he also did a Malik P. Some of the results here will will tie in very much with the new soil sampling program that the Department of Agriculture have launched recently. Um, In these two soil samples, one of them was acidic and it had a pH of 5.6. And the other one, a very similar soil type, but it had a pH of 6.3, the optimum pH. There was analysis done for the total amount of phosphorus in in that soil. Most of this is bound and not available to plants. And in the acidic soil, there is considerably more phosphorus at uh, 1,350 versus eight, seven, eight, in in the one that has the correct pH. However, when we look at the Morgan's P, which is considered to be what's plant available, the amount of phosphorus in the Morgan's P is higher, even though the total P is considerably less. So the acidic soil, what is happening here, if it goes below pH of 5.8, aluminium in that soil is binding that phosphorus tightly and is making it less available and it's been locked up by the soil, resulting in a low Morgans soil test. So it's important to have the pH correct to make best availability of the nutrients that are in that soil. Uh, the P index in Valley Canoe, I mentioned that the soils are more acidic there than we would like. And I think that has an influence here on this graph. You can see that the P index at the start in Valley Canoe wasn't very good. There was a significant number um, heading for 20% in index ones, um, sorry, heading for 40% and, and a similar amount again in index two. So almost 80% of the soils were suboptimum optimum for P alone, not to mention uh, pH and potash. And unfortunately, in the campaign, since that problem has uh, steadily got worse up until the third campaign and it now seems to have leveled off and there seems to be a very slight improvement in index trees between the third and fourth campaign. I think it's worth noting here that that Bally Canoe soils are fantastically good at growing grass and um, the farmers there will probably say that the yield in in grass yield isn't by being hit with these low levels of oscaris however um, if the trends continue with that like that it will eventually come come to have an impact on the yield and it'll bite them in timid um we have a contrasting scenario in, in in that the p levels were starting off were quite good we had a over 50 percent index trees and index fours, and they were pretty steady um they did decrease coming up to the third campaign but there has been an increase the worrying here from an environmental point of view is there has been a slight very slight increase in index fours um, coming up to the in the last campaign from the, from the third to the last slide campaign so in the last four years there has been a slight increase in index fours and from a water and environmental point of view i think we would rather see that increase being in the index threes The trends in phosphorus, this graph is similar if we look at the P index one and twos in the first campaign and see what happened to fertility of those fields across 12 years. Really, for dry stock farmers, they haven't changed. The biggest change is the fields that had high levels of phosphorus have reduced significantly. That's a good news story from the environment. Unfortunately, we haven't seen an increase in the index trees, which is the category that we would like to see. On dairy farms, um, across the and Timaleek has a high proportion of these farmers in it. So I suppose this is, is reflected in the previous slide. We can see that the, the index fours did drop up to the third campaign, but have, do seem to have turned the corner and, and increased slightly again. And those soils dropped from an index four down to an index three in the third campaign, but the average result of them has moved up into index four again in the last campaign. And in tillage for phosphorus, um, index threes and index ones and twos have, have largely remained relatively unchanged. And the index fours there was a legacy as i mentioned the factory line and i think they are dropping gradually um, and and seem to be leveling off kind of at a high index three the index system for fields is slightly different the balance are slightly different so they are now all index three potash i mentioned tends to be the forgotten uh, nutrient and uh, in Bally Canoe, you can see here that the trends for potash are increasing. The index 4s are getting better in the last campaign. The index 3s are improving. And uh, the index 2s have remained pretty much unchanged. And the low index 1s, while they have increased a bit, it seems to have turned the corner and they are improving again. In Castle Dockerel, in the tillage catchment, I think this is a, a good news story. It, it, it has taken... Maybe a little bit of time to get it started, but in the last um, eight to four to eight years, the levels of potash have increased significantly, and I think we're getting better nitrogen use efficiency as a result of that, um, and, and it's through good nutrient management and interest in the results and good advisory that, that this has taken place. And in Timoleague, there is also an improvement in the K, but it is not as significant as it is there um, for the tillage farmers in Castleknock. So we can see that the trend here for the soils that were in K index one and two is that they are moving up. K index three are gradually moving up, but not move, not moving significantly and the index 4Ks have, have dropped slightly over the 12 years of, of the campaign. And then dry stock, that's quite similar. Dairy, farmers, there seems to be a gradual improvement in K levels, and in tillage, equally, the K levels are all moving in the right direction. Tillage farmers, through my own experience working as advisors with them, with the first campaign, they were keen to take the soil results and look at, 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 at take the information and the advice on fertilizer management more so than on grassland-based uh, dry stock and dairy farmers. When we came out with the trends in soil fertility and talked to the farmers about how their individual field and farm fertility levels changed from one campaign to the next, the level of interest in nutrient management has increased. Uh, I mentioned Roman Hebert did some work in the catchments, has done his PhD on soil fertility. And I think a lot of the reason why the nutrient soil fertility levels in tillage are moving in the right direction quicker and more so than on grass-based is that um, there is less use of organic fertilizers and more use of chemical, uh, higher proportion of chemical fertilizers being applied to tillage fields. so with that in mind, um, Roman did work comparing cattle slurry versus chemical fertilizer in, in four of the six catchments that we were working in. And we can see here that the yield in grass and dry matter uh, was, at, it was, was in general much the same, if anything, slightly better than chemical fertilizer at the same application rate. Particularly in Bally Canoe and Dunlear, there was a significantly better response from Capistori. In Craig Duff, it was the same. And Tim Malik, it was more or less the same. There was no significant difference. He also measured the nutrient loss from phosphorus uh, to to water in those and Capistori. It was actually safer. And the soil binded and held on to phosphorus from uh, Capistori more so than it did from chemical fertilizer. Overall soil fertility across all the catchments, when we look at pH, P and K, um, it, it, it has improved very slightly since the first campaign. These, these are the results from the last campaign and we can see that overall 85% of the soil samples and 85% of the area that we're looking at um, does not reach the optimum agronomic levels. And if we include an environmental um, evaluation into that, there's a further 7% that have P index of four that we would like to see coming back into the index three. That's overall. Averages can hide hide a message. And if we look at the story in the Valley Canoe catchment, it is significantly worse. Um, 95% of the soils are not optimal. 2% 2% in P index 4. In Casteldochral, and the, mar- the 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 majority of the soils here are tillage, and we're talking about a pH of 6.5 versus 6.3, so we have a higher target, and yet 77% of the soils are optimal. 8% are in P index 4, and that is declining over time. In Timalik, 81% are at our, our, our sub-optimum soil fertility levels. And the concern I have here is, is, is the proportion that are in, in P index four. Okay. So what does this mean and where are we going um, for, for the farms in there? And In advance of today, I, I was looking at the slide that Mark Plunkett presented to advisors in Chagask about a month ago, or maybe six weeks ago at this stage. He came up. He was showing the fertilizer prices in uh, in last year versus twenty twenty one in in August, how they have changed since the start of the year, and they've gone up. They they had gone up by two hundred euro a ton. And yesterday I rang the merchants in Tullow in County Carlow, and they have actually gone up by another 200 euros since then. And they were actually reluctant to, to quote me because um, fertilizer isn't moving at the moment. It has gone so expensive. Um, and if we see a, still a significant proportion of fields at sub-optimum fertility levels and fertilizer prices getting higher and higher, um, you would be concerned that Uh, soil fertility levels and production, are going to be significantly hit if this high price regime continues. um, In addition to that, we have policy implications uh, in advance of of this rise in fertiliser, these were all here. Farm to Fork and the European Commission is looking for a 20% reduction in fertiliser use, and if those fertiliser prices maintain, I don't think there would be any problem in achieving that a 50% reduction in nutrient loss. Also, the EPA have been publishing this year uh, a significant amount of details on nitrate load entering the estuaries in the east and southeast of the country, and and outlining the trends moving upwards, which is away from the targets for the Water Framework Directive. Um, Greenhouse gas commitments that are going to be outlined next week, um, and are being discussed largely that the, the three um, gas, well, the, for greenhouse gas, we, we have methane emissions and there's not much we can do to to reduce those without reducing livestock numbers, but nitrous oxide emissions through improved management and for nutrient use efficiencies can be uh, improved and are a main focus for, for agriculture to improve technology to get more kilogram of nitrogen applied so we'll we'll be looking for improvements there and ammonia in a similar way so there is a lot of focus on nutrient management okay mark that's uh, um presentation
0: okay great eddie thanks so much for that um reminder everybody do use the q a tab at the bottom of the screen and uh, I think you you really told a story there, uh, Eddie, very well of of uh, the the trends that are happening across the catchments in Ireland, and, and, I, and I, I fully acknowledge the the graphs are are really important part of of telling that story. Um,
1: I, 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 do, I, that, I am sorry, Mark. I, I, not
0: I just, at all, No, no, no. I think you know you, you did it. I think you you did it very very well actually. Um, uh, the the um, I, I imagine there are people looking at today's presentation and wondering. You know, are we um, looking at uh, the fertility in ag- in our soils uh, from a uh, from a narrow viewpoint? Uh, because I see some comments coming in through from farmers there who are maybe don't have the the objective of of maximising uh, agricultural production from their land, where in fact they're their maybe their objective is to uh, to to pull back on their stock numbers and. Uh, to to work uh, on the whole uh, building uh, biodiversity and and and, and, and f- approaching it from that perspective um, would you care to comment on that in terms of maybe even just looking at the the phosphorus industries there you know uh, maybe is is a p index3 is is that uh, is that uh, important for everybody or are there farmers there that perhaps don't need to be, uh, hitting those sorts of indices, it's it may, just just if you if you know where I'm coming from on that. Yeah, no,
1: no, I, I I do, Mark, and I, I agree completely with with the the, the sentiment or or, or or the question. I think it's a very good question. I suppose really a comment on the index system by and large. The index system is a simplified tool to help us make decisions for, and it was developed for agronomic production. Index one is very low and it says that And the definition of index one is that agronomic response to fertiliser is definite. Index two is considered low and the definition is that response to fertiliser is likely. Three is medium and where we say that all soils should be and it's deemed that the agronomic response is tenuous, it might happen and it might not, and index four says that the response doesn't exist. That there isn't one across the different soil types for all nutrients for phosphorus and for well for phosphorus and potash and other nutrients um, in the different catchments. We've discovered that that the index system and those definitions don't always fit. For example, with the tillage farmers in Castle Dockwell, those soils are naturally high in potash and. Many of them are in a high index four, and the farmers there still get a response to potash fertilizer and are, are putting it out on top dressing with 20 not 15 on spring barley. Um, and, and it's getting a response. So, so, the definition for K for index four is that there wouldn't, wouldn't be a response to it, and yet they are finding a response. Equally, in Ballykenu, the the P levels are very low, and farmers are measuring and growing a lot of grass and value canoe at low P index levels. But they they are all production uh, targets that I'm talking about. And really, I I think um, if you're not, um, it's understandable that people would think that Chagas' message is that all soils should move to index 3. And my presentation probably contributed to that. But really, what we need to do is have fertility levels that want to uh, reach the objectives that the farmer has. If if that farmer is an intensive tillage farmer and he wants to maximise his production, it's very important that he has his pH right and puts on an adequate amount of nutrients. If it's an extensive farmer, for for example, someone maybe on in the Baron Life program and they're receiving payments for biodiversity and uh, species-rich grassland putting on excess amounts or well putting on optimum amounts of nutrients for perennial ryegrass production don't make sense um yeah so 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 that's where i i think um looking at the trend in fertility is important because you could be in an extensive system with biodiversity and species-rich um um pastures as an objective, and if your fert- fertilities are increasing through maybe mismanagement of organic fertilizers, you need to be aware of that and take action to reduce it. Mm-hmm. Um, no, a- no, no different to looking at a trend for a, a production-minded, mm-hmm. uh, intensive farming system.
2: There's, there's, a, there's a, a kind of a follow-on question, which I think will allow a bit of nuance in terms of the, the what you're talking about. And the question is, I, I only apply 60 units of nitrogen. Do I need index 3 for, for P and K? And I think, I suppose, what the person is getting at is what are the priority uh, elements that I, I operate or I, that I aim for first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
1: suppose it's difficult to say, Patrick, that person saying they're applying 60 units of nitrogen. I, I, like, I, I what... What are their objectives? Is it, well, first of all, is it a grass? I'm assuming it's a grass production system. Um, uh, uh, um, different soils will behave will behave differently for different nutrients. Um, I, 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 as I showed there, the soils in Valley Canoe will, will grow grass at a lower P level to what's there in, in other soils. So the, but the pH and the availability of those nutrients is the cornerstone to that. So for someone applying lower amounts of nitrogen, if they're production-minded, the pH is key, and first and foremost, before they should start considering about alterating their P and K levels. And I I think I would look at the trend in the parts per million of the P and K. I didn't do that in the graphs there, mostly I, I was looking at the index system. But on an individual farm and a field basis, I, w- I would be looking at the actual result in milligrams per liter or parts, parts per million.
0: The, the, the slide you showed there with uh, the fertilizer prices it, it's, it's It's actually staggering to look at the the change that has happened within the space of of less than twelve months. Uh, what, what do you expect the response to be uh, to those prices? At, at a farm level, um, and and you know our our farmers going to reduce their their nitrogen and uh, or or maybe reduce their, their 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 phosphorus applications, uh, for and, and take a holiday from, from that side of things or you know what what do you think are, is the response going to be uh, and are there measures that farmers could uh, put in place because we have spoken a lot of uh, about um other ways of, of bringing nitrogen onto the farm outside of using chemical uh, fertilizer.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, you're, there's gonna be a, lit, a little bit of a, of a broken record in my responses, Mark, but the w- one price that I haven't put up there is the price of spreading lime. Okay, and first and foremost, um, There are a lot of nutrients available in the soil already. I showed the amount of total phosphorus that was in the soil. Um, I didn't explain about nitrogen. Like in in a a hectare of nitrogen tied up in organic matter, on a grassland field, you could have between eight and 16 tons of nitrogen. On the tillage field, you could be talking maybe between four and eight tons of nitrogen. If the pH is optimum at 6.3 for grassland or 6.5 for tillage, the maximum amount of that organic matter that can be mineralized will be. So, so it will release nitrogen itself. And, and the samples there and the trends that are shown in the catchments, which are no different to what's happening nationally, uh, show that there is still a lot of scope for lime to be spread. So I think when fertilizer prices are going up, one of the first things that should happen is that pHs need to be moved uh, to where they need to be. The second and, and, and equally as important option that is available there and, and we have observed in the catchments is the use of organic fertilisers as opposed to chemical fertiliser. And I mentioned that the tillage, the trends in fertility in the Castle and on the tillage farms and the other catchments is by and large better and moving in the correct direction. And the reason for that is the majority of the nutrients being applied are being purchased through chemical fertilizer. On livestock farms, we have organic fertilizer applications, mostly cattle stury, but also imported. Um, There's pig stury, digestate from anaerobic digesters and poultry manure being applied. And the decisions based around organic fertilizer uh, application rates do have significant room for improvement um the, the decisions that go into a farmer's mind which which impact on when and where they spread the fer- organic fertilizer are not always purely determined by the nutrient uh, requirement of the crop and the soil fertility um if you have slurry storage up to a certain amount and your tanks are full you need to spread it um it Takes time to travel with spreading it. You want to spread it on your driest land, and you want to spread it until you probably closer to where it's been stored. And we can see that in, in uh, our results in, in the catchments. So there is a lot of scope for improvement in nutrient management with organic fertilizers. And they work. Um, also, yeah, I, I didn't show a slide on this, but with on Roman's PhD, he compared poultry manure pig slurry and cattle slurry with chemical fertilizer. And from a plant availability point of view, pig slurry and poultry manure will um, release, for the same amount of phosphorus fertilizer applied, they will make more uh, a more significant change in plant available B. Won't be any riskier from a water-soluble runoff uh, solution with the exception of pig story close to spreading time, um, and capital story, as I shown there, uh, on the slide that I did show on the trials that they did that he use is is st- statistically the same, but but probably marginally better than chemical phosphorus. Uh,
0: we've about um, we've just about 10 minutes left, Eddie, and lots of questions coming through, so I'm going to hand straight over to Pat and uh, maybe if we could try and uh. Give rapid, a rapid fire round and try and get through as many of the questions as possible. So, uh,
2: and one, one, Eddie, I know you've answered before. Was there much of a correlation between soil fertility and
1: nutrient levels in water? No. Uh, y- yes, and no. Um, ac- across the six catchments, the, the, the classic example to say that, that there isn't is the Valley Canoe catchment, it is a heavy soil type. and and at the start I showed the slide with the nutrient transfer continuum. Um, Phosphorus is usually usually of concern with a runoff uh, type soil so if you have a high clay content they get get wet quickly and the type of rain that we had here in Wexford uh, yesterday was so heavy the soils would have got saturated and water would have run off the surface so the soils there ironically also have the lowest lowest p levels of all six catchments but it has the second highest uh, p loss to water of the six catchments and so, so there are different factors that impact on, on on nutrient and and this was a key message from the catchments program is you need to put you need to put the right measure in the right place and uh, limiting phosphorus application in valley canoe is is not going to um is not going to improve or, the, or reduce the risk of the run, uh, runoff. It's the timing of application and the location of application that will make a difference there. It's about breaking the pathway, which is a runoff scenario. In contrast with um, I suppose maybe with, with the, the Timalee catchment in Cork, that the pathway for phosphorus has been lost. We have found that phosphorus moves through groundwater there. Um, and high soil fertility levels on that soil type would be risky and and, and, and they have potential for increasing, increasing it. So, so sometimes yes and sometimes no and we and we need to understand a question there in relation to the, the process
2: a question there in relation in relation to the Uh, kind of uh, levels of of index 3 and and the fact that they're generally not increasing. Is there a problem with uh, the distribution of nutrient around the farm that we're not seeing uh, uh, an increase in level 3 and decreases in in index 3 and and, and decreases in index 4?
1: Yeah, I'm coming back to my comment on on applications of organic fertilizer um, and uh, nolly McDonald did research comparing um, two tillage catchments and the catchments, one which had a higher proportion of organic fertilizer being applied, and I'd say there is there is a problem there with with management of nutrients coming from organic uh, sources. For, for example, the, people could be applying organic fertilizer as a source of nitrogen for growing crops, but they do organic. Um, they're not a straight. <laughs> It's not like spreading potash, or potash, so that they're supplying organic matter, they're supplying nitrogen, phosphorus, uh, potash, sulfur, and they're they're supplying many, many benefits to the soil. But if it's been put on from a mindset of nitrogen alone, there could be an imbalance of other nutrients going out.
2: Just a comment here you might comment on, is Chagas trying to maximize farm production or farm
1: profit? And just saying they're not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I I I think that's a very good comment, Um, and I think a a, a significant. um, um, uh, Yeah, Mark Plunkett is going to have a lot of work uh, calculating tables on 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 economic response from fertilizers to look at farm profit and the optimum amount being applied with with those changes in prices there, but again. I think for grassland-based systems, grass measuring will tell people how much their yield of grass is per uh, field. And um, uh, my my opinion, why tillage farmers bought into the soil results and nutrient advice much quicker than on grassland-based systems is that in general, if you're not budgeting grass, you don't know what your yield from an individual field is if you're selling milk or selling beef or selling lamb. If you're a tillage farmer and you're selling spring barley or oilseed rape, grape, you know what came off each field and you know the impact of of, of, um, of uh, inappropriate nutrient management. Now, if you are budgeting grass and you know that your P index two fields are growing 16 ton and you're utilizing 14 ton of grass over a P index two, that should be your target and stick with that. And no one knows that better than the farmer that's working on that, that has grown up and is working on those soil types themselves. The index system is a good system for general advice and putting it there, but they need to be nuanced and tailored to individual soil types across the country. And, and it's farmers that are working on those that know their own farm best and advisors working in the locality that know that um, um um to to make those decisions
2: okay there's a question there in relation to uh and i suppose it, it maybe harken back to your own experience as an advisor in the catchment uh asking what has worked with farmers to get improvements uh in soil fertility management amongst the farmers in the in the catchments
1: um, I, I, A continuous declining trend or a continuous increasing trend rather than a snapshot of the soil fertility at a single time works well. And and one thing that I haven't shown there is that the fertility levels, I showed the trends in fertility levels between enterprise and between catchment. If you look at an individual catchment and look at soil fertility between one farm and another, you will see marked differences. And uh, Simon, I mentioned, uses GIS, and he can produce color-coded maps for soil fertility. And if we look at a catchment and we color-code it for pH or we color-code it for phosphorus or potash, you can identify farm boundaries from those color-coded. So nutrient management is a farm-specific Thing, and it has influenced the fertility on an overall farm basis to an extent that we can we can identify one farm from another based on the soil fertility levels. Sorry, Pat, I'm after getting a little. Yeah, bit no, no, bit no, that's now, fine. No, no, that's that's, that's right, quite
2: clear. There's, there's a question there, uh, um, and a double or two questions. I'll put the two of them together. What are the risk factors uh, for losing uh, nutrients for for from land and? Uh, what are the kind of uh, specific advices that need to be given to farmers in different circumstances to try and prevent that
1: loss? (laughs) That's a long answer. It depends on the nutrient and it depends on the soil type and it depends on the weather. Okay. From a phosphorus point of view, um, by and large, it's a runoff scenario and the timing that you apply the phosphorus Uh, is key. So so rather than the total amount, if you can put out phosphorus at a time when runoff is not likely to happen. In other words, application of phosphorus when soils are not saturated and heavy rainfall is not forecast, then it's less likely to cause a problem. And remember, the amount of phosphorus needed to, to exceed limits is very small agronomically. We're talking about less than one unit per acre. Per year that that would cause a problem. So so rather than talking about overall phosphorus application rate, I think it's to do with soil conditions when it's been spread and buffer strips and avoiding what we term as critical source areas which contribute to an excessive amount of runoff. Nitrogen is a a completely different pathway that it gets into, into the soil and really from a nitrogen point of view we're talking about Excellent nitrogen use efficiency. In other words, that the nitrogen that you put out is is removed in crop offtakes, and avoiding excess application rates and avoiding uh, uh, nitrogen being there at a time when growth is minimal or non-existent.
0: Eddie, there's quite a, a, a few questions coming in around the the the, uh, the types of of assessments of soil health that we're doing. Um, and uh, we had Fiona Brennan uh, on the Signpost uh, series a number of months ago talking about the biodiversity aspect of soil quality. Um, is that something that is being examined within the catchments program or is, are there plans to to take that, that aspect or understand that aspect of soil health? Yeah.
1: Um we do collaborate with a lot of researchers and, and we would be working closely with fiona uh, and some of her um sometimes she, she would carry out some of our work on sites located within the catchments and, and the other um, mostly um, phd students but by and large it's not a major focus um of, of our work in the catchments okay. but soil fertility and the levels that i've gone through here are only one aspect of of soil health, uh, soil structure, and soil texture. Um, texture obviously we can't change. The sand, silt, and clay is there, but the soil structure and, com- and compaction, and the soil and the soil pH equally, I think, is key um, key to to, to to both soil health and soil nutrient availability. There. Okay. And, and I mentioned we are measuring carbon now as well. Which will we'll try in with that.
0: Okay. Um, we, we're going to have to wrap it up there. Uh, we're just right out of time. Um, Eddie, thank you so much for your presentation. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to get through all of the questions today. There's a lot of interest in this topic. So uh, Eddie, we might get you back again on, uh, to talk about maybe those other aspects that we we're we were talking about there as well. But I think it's, it is it is important to say that, and, and you've said it there, that the, we're only looking at one aspect of, of soil health here today um, and that there there, there is a a more holistic uh, view uh, that 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 we're taking and and obviously more research is, is required in that particular area Okay, Um, Pat, thanks for helping with questions. Eddie, thanks again for your presentation. Mm -hmm. And uh, just to let you know that we'll be joined next week by Dr. Catherine Kina, who's going to be talking about assessing biodiversity management practices on intensively managed farmland. So do join us uh, next week for uh, uh, Catherine's presentation. Um, And a reminder again that uh, today's session is recorded and will be available on the Chagas website along with the presentation Um, And you can tune in also to the Chagisk uh, Signpost uh, podcast series, uh, which will give you an audio version of of what's been presented here today and all previous uh, webinars as well. So with that, we will leave you and we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagask.ie. And you can also rate, review, and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson, and thanks for listening.